1 Kings chapter 19. While you're turning there, I want to welcome a group from outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, right? Somewhere in that area. Um, they're uh, Michelle Rogers' grandfather. This is uh, his church, part of his church, right? Am I getting the details, facts right? And they're headed down to Beaumont, Texas, to do some relief work in, in uh, the Houston, Beaumont area. Welcome, guys. We're glad to have you with us this morning. Well, again, we are looking at how can I make an impact in the world? Um, how can my life get activated for God's kingdom? And I think for many of us, we at times feel like we are stuck in a constant holding pattern. Uh, we want to be activated in our life. I, I, I think after a couple of weeks, I'm hoping that at least in your heart, there's a desire to be activated. But I have a feeling for some of us at times, we think, I want to get activated, but I'm just stuck. I'm stuck here, and I, I don't know what to do. I, I want to I break out of the sinful patterns of my life. I want to break out of the habits that I want to get rid of. I, I want to break out of the lethargy and apathy and the spiritual... Uh, areas that I just can't seem to get going. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul prays this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just as a reminder, um, Paul is praying that you are made up of spirit, soul, and body. And when God comes into your heart and life, the spiritual area of your life, the, the human spirit, which was darkened by sin, now becomes the residence of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And in the soul area of your life, you, you have, just as a way of diagramming it, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then you have the physical carton, your your body. And for many of us, let's say we feel stuck spiritually. For many of us, we think, okay, what I've got to do is I've got to start working on myself from the outside in. I need to change something I'm doing, and then maybe it'll change my mind, will, and my emotions, and then the spiritual component of my life will get activated. And maybe by doing so, it will change who I am. Now, um, this kind of behavioral therapy has a place in some respects, I understand. But from a, from a kingdom dynamic, God wants to change you from the inside out. He's placed his presence and his power within you so that the way you think, the way you feel, the way you're determined, your determination factor can be changed. And then how you act who you are, what, the way you respond to people will change. The truth that God has placed his presence in you, where Paul prays, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you can know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power that's available to those of us who believe. He's 
The reason he prays that the eyes of our heart would be opened and enlightened is because we need the eyes of our heart opened and enlightened. Because our stuckness, so to speak, is in some ways corresponds to our ability to see who we are in him. That his power rests within us. Now, I, I, I've been around people. I'm getting older. Uh, as you know, I'm now a grandfather. And hey, this is my grandson's first day at church. Uh, and his great-grandfather is here today, too, to uh, hear me preach. And so... Anyway, I'm getting older, but the more I'm around people, I can hear the yes, but questions going on in your head. In other words, I, 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 I just know you're saying, yeah, 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 this is Bible stuff, but you don't know my situation. And at times, it, it's almost like, yeah, but the day in which we live, yes, but the life that I've had to undergo. Yes, but the pain, the physical pain of um, the health issues that I'm undergoing. All of these yes, but aspects prevent us from breaking through spiritually to where God wants us. And, and at times we think, oh, if I could have just been alive during Bible times, like around Jesus, or maybe... Maybe if I were more spiritual, maybe if I was like one of the biblical guys, like our women, Moses, or Deborah, or David, or Gideon, or Elijah, then, then I, I too could break through in my spiritual life. In the book of James, James has this interesting passage where he says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is what? It's powerful and effective. And you think, eh, yeah, if I can find a righteous man, I'll, you know, I'll hook up with that prayer. Then he has this incredible phrase. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You know, we, we, we get in this stage where we say, oh, yes, but if I was just Elijah. Well, here's what James is saying. Hey, Elijah was a guy just like you. Well, what was the difference? The power of the presence of God in his life. Wait a minute. We have that same power. We have that same present resident within us. So this morning, what I want to look at, I want to look at this Bible story of Elijah to remind us, how did Elijah experience a spiritual breakthrough? What happened that allowed Elijah to, to move forward, to give us some, some simple, really, truths from God's Word about how we, too, can break through spiritually? Because let me just say this. Unless we break through spiritually, this whole activation thing is just a bunch of words. Because it's the power of God, the spiritual component, the gifts he's placed within us, the, his presence within us that's going to make a difference in the world around us. It's our only hope. It's our only hope. So this morning, we're going to look at Elijah together. Let me just summarize 
and I, I will say quickly, but you, you know that means nothing, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize 1 Kings 18 because I want to get into 19. Because unless you understand what's happened in 18, you're really not going to get what's going on in 19. So in chapter 18, uh, Elijah has been, he's the old prophet. And he's the prophet to the, to the nation of Israel. Remember that way back when Israel split in Israel, the nation split into two nations with Israel in the north, ten tribes, Judah in the south with two tribes. And the descendants of David reign in the nation of Judah, the two tribes in the south, and then a bunch of really bad, bad kings reigned in the north. Probably the worst was the, uh, the duo of Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, she's got her own demon spirit named after her. You got to figure she's not, she's not a good person. And her husband is Ahab. And so he is the king during the time of Elijah. Elijah's done miraculous things. He's, he's healed people. He's, he, he's kept oil going. He's, he, he prayed for it not to rain, and it hasn't rained for three years. And so he's not in, in, in really a good place with Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, as a matter of fact, Ahab has been looking to kill him already, uh, trying to find a way to take his life. So, Ahab, uh, so Elijah, rather than at this point running away, he says, I, I want a showdown with the, the, the pagan prophets that are in the land. Now, without going into too much detail, the, the land of Canaan had some ancient um, gods, so to speak, that ruled over that land, the most famous of whom was Baal. And he had a girlfriend named Asherah. And so Baal and Asherah is a fertility cult. And a fertility cult is basically what it says in the sense of there's a reenactment sexually that takes place in order that the land will produce crops because they were uh, an agricultural nation. And so they thought if they did this, so, um, you know, if you're going to be pagan, um, <laughs> Uh, there's, there's a certain appeal to a sexual cult. I mean, if you're going to go that direction. And so the nation kind of followed this. So Baal and Asherah were worshipped in that nation. The people had deserted God, or, or more likely they kept God on this side and the pagan gods on this side and said, hey, we'll worship God, but what could it hurt? Maybe it'll actually help our crops if we keep this. So Elijah calls for a showdown between the prophets of Baal and Asherah and himself. And he goes to a place called Mount Carmel. And many of you know this story already. There were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Total, thank you. I, no one told you there would be math this morning, but I just want to keep you hanging in there. Thanks, Caleb, for jumping on that for me. Um, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah show up. And Elijah proposes a showdown and says, hey, listen, let's build an altar, put some wood on it, and uh, you, you guys get to go first. You call for fire, and then I'll call for fire. And whoever's, God, whoever's God's answer, that God is really God. And they said, eh, that sounds good to us. So they go first, and they pray, and nothing happens. And then uh, Elijah 
<laughs> Elijah, uh, he could have been a member of fullness. He starts to mock them a little bit. Uh, a little sarcasm, throws it out there, uh, starts calling them and said, hey, where's your God? Call him a little louder. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom or something. Maybe you yell for him. That's really what he says, actually. And uh, he yells it, and they get all worked up. Now, they start yelling louder. They start cutting themselves. They are very zealous, but wrong. You know, you can be zealous and zealously wrong. And that's what they were. They were zealous. So, so don't let people whose passion is so great toward a cause sway you from walking in truth. Just because somebody's worked up about it doesn't mean it's true. So they are really worked up. They went on all day and nothing happened. All day. Finally, Elijah steps forward. And he builds an altar. And by the way, I don't have time to get into this, but the way he rebuilds the altar, he does it with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Talking about we may look like two nations, but we are one under God. He brought us together. He's the one who formed us. Our God is the real God. Then he digs a trench around it. He has him pour water after water after water on the, on the thing. And then he steps forward, and he just offers this simple prayer. And I, I don't know how he prayed this prayer. I, I like to think he wasn't bombastic like they were. You know, that worked up, hey, let's just get all emotionalism about this thing. That's my picture. Now, I'm not sure he could, have, he could have said it in a certain way, but he says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I mean, how long did it take me to read that? 30 seconds? The prophets of Baal have been going all day. He prays 30 seconds. Fire falls from heaven. Fire falls from heaven. And listen to this. It consumes the wood, the wet wood. It consumes the altar. It consumes the ground. It consumed everything around right there. Now, by the way, at this point, as far as we know, there was not fire that had been created by man that was hot enough to burn all the stuff that got burnt up. I mean, it was like a small nuclear explosion happened with all, all the bad side effects. The people's response, man, they repent immediately. They don't question. They drop to their face. They confess. Elijah commands that the prophets of Baal and Asherah, now this is 850, by the way, that all of them be slain. The people seize them. They kill them. Uh, Elijah then turns to Ahab, who has come to see the show, and he says to Ahab, hey, go get some food and get some rest because now it's about to rain. Um, by the way, there's something, there's a dynamic here about cleansing followed by the outpouring that I think there's a connection between. Uh, but in any case, Elijah says to him, go get ready. And then Elijah, 
They're already on Mount Carmel, and he evidently goes on up to the summit, and there he starts praying, Lord, let it rain. And he's bowing down, and he's praying for rain, and he's got a servant with him, and he says, hey, go look, see if it's raining. See if you see any clouds. Servant goes out, no cloud, comes back. Elijah prays again, tells the servant, go look, no clouds. Seven times Elijah does this. Now, again, another lesson, perseverance in prayer. I mean, there are a lot of lessons, side points in all of this. Some of us, we pray one time, we don't hear God, you know, something doesn't happen, we feel like, give up. Isaiah hangs in there. Finally, on the seventh time, guy comes back and says, hey, I see a little cloud. It's like the size of a man's hand. Elijah jumps up, goes to Ahab. It's going to rain. You better get home. You better get home because it's going to rain. <laughs> so Ahab takes off on a horse to go back home. And Isaiah, it says, tucks his garments in his belt or whatever he's got and starts running. Now, Isaiah's not, I mean, Elijah's not a young guy. And it's a distance of six miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel where he's going, and he outruns the guy on the horse. He runs a 10K faster than a horse as an old guy. Now, now think about, I, I keep saying Isaiah, think about Elijah's day so far. He's, he's had a good day. I mean, really, fire from heaven, he's prayed for rain, it's going to rain, and he's outrun a horse. I would call that a good one. I would call that a good day, where I would say, you know, God is good all the time, and all the time, you know, you start singing songs or something. He's probably excited and probably thinks this is it. All the nation's going to turn now. Everything's going to be different. But do you know the devil doesn't give up his strongholds easily? And Jezebel, when Isaiah gets there, says basically, hey, if I don't kill Elijah before the end of the day, so be it. It's unto me. What does Elijah do? I mean, the dude's just killed 850 prophets of Baal, prayed for rain, outrun a horse, and as you can see, he, he breaks. Something in him breaks at this woman's word. And, I, you know, to me, there's, a, there's another lesson here about how, the, how Satan knows what, just what to say and through whom to say it in order to attack you at your point of vulnerability. And it happens here, and Isaiah, just whenever I say Isaiah, just think Elijah from here on out, okay? Hey, I'm a grandfather now. My grandson's first day is today. And, uh, <laughs> did I tell you my dad's here too? Uh, Elijah, he takes off. He gets afraid, and he runs. He gets depressed. He goes and sits under a broom tree, and he wants to die. That's what depression does to you. It's not reasonable. Nothing about this story is reasonable 
uh, especially when Elijah gets to this point. An angel comes and fixes breakfast for him. He eats, and then he goes to sleep. A second time, the angel comes, and he's touched by this angel. He, he gets up, he eats. I, I'm just telling you, this is miracle after miracle. I mean, think about it. I, I, it's been a while since, you know, my wife left yesterday, so it's been at least 24 hours since an angel made me breakfast. You can tell her I said that. You can tell her I said that when she gets back, if you don't mind. Look, I need all the help I can get. Anyway, angel makes him breakfast. He gets up and he travels for 40 days without eating or drinking to the mountain of the Lord. Another supernatural miracle occurs. And he goes into a cave and he still spiritually and emotionally depressed and wants to die. But here's some things that just, uh, these are side points as well. Many times, potential defeat often follows victory. Attack from the enemy, he counterattacks what happens to us. I mean, we go through victory, and instead of just standing there, just expect that the enemy is going to come against you. He's not going to leave you alone. Also, God knows already what's in your heart. He knows what's there. You know, Elijah had done all of this stuff, but there was something down in there that needed some help. And as much as he was victorious in all these areas with God, God already knew that there was something in his heart that needed to be dealt with. And, again, another side point, but some victories don't break bad habits. You know, some external victories don't break bad things that are in there that need to be dealt with. Listen, we can talk all day. I could, I won't, I promise. I'll try and keep things shorter. But, I mean, doesn't it always amaze you about when you see this powerful man of God who preaches and people get saved and healings take place and then you see it's like a failure over here because we equate victory here with total purity and holiness and sanctification here and the two may not necessarily correspond because God's giftings and power they aren't revoked but God is really more concerned with our hearts he wants to change the way we think and who we are. He wants spiritual breakthrough to come out from within us so that our mind, our will, our emotions, and our physical activities are totally and completely his. How does that happen? How does he deal with that in Elijah's life? And I am now in chapter 19 to the points. But let me tell you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand these points, I don't think, apart from the context of all of that we've just talked about as far as the story. So here's the question. How do we experience spiritual breakthrough? First is take a moment, take time to evaluate where you are. Now, this may seem simple, but many of us don't ever question what's going on around us. We're just blindly following and at times, we're coming against it, but we don't realize what's going on. In 
chapter 19, in this cave, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> Isn't that a funny question right off the start? Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I think that God is asking him this because, first of all, God knows why he's there. But until Elijah knows why he's there, they're not going to be able to move forward. God does this on numerous occasions in the Bible, starting in Genesis. God wants us to take time to evaluate and to say, what are we doing here? There's a story told about a, uh, a circus uh, that had an ape that died and uh, the owner of the circus he panicked because the ape was one of his big attractions so he did something conniving he actually skinned the ape and found a man desperate for a job he dressed him up in the ape costume and he said I want you to play an ape all you need to do is prowl around and growl at the people the man he he gave it a try and he found out that he kind of liked it. Growling at people, you know, seeing them get scared. And the longer he did it, the more accustomed to it he became. It was a blast. He was having a great time and getting paid to do it. But one day, he took a break in, in his awkward ape costume. And he stumbled by accident into the lion's cage. There, the lion roared at him. And the man in the ape costume began to, to yell out, Help! Help! Get me out of here! I'm not really an ape! Then the lion said to him, Shut up, you fool, or you're going to get us both fired. <laughs> hey, a lot of people are dressing like Christians, acting like Christians, going around spouting Christianese, but on the inside, who are we really? We have to take time to evaluate where we are. Elijah, when he calls all the people to, together, he says to them this, how, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to act like God is God, but then worship this Baal dude? So that your actions are more here than what you're saying. People, we, we've got to take a moment to get gut level honest and say, who, who is God really God of my life? Now, I, I don't want to get personal but for many of us we confess that God is God but then our actions say our job is our God our resources are our God for some of us our emotions are our God because they rule the direction we go for some of us our intellect is our God because we have to think it through I mean, really, people, I think it's time for us to get gut-level honest and to say, 
if we're going to experience breakthrough, my past is not my God. As bad as it is, or great as it is, or wonderful, my family is not my God. My God is my God. We need to take time to evaluate. How long will you waver between two opinions? Second is this. We need to confess and agree with God. Confess and agree with God. In verse 10, Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, Elijah has taken a moment. He sees where he is, and he's attempting to justify how he got where he is. Here's why I'm here. I, 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 I've done it, the good stuff. I've been very zealous for the Lord. Did you not just see me on that mountain? Did you not just see me run like the wind? Did you not just see me call it just rain? And he's saying, I've been very zealous for the Lord. And look at where it's gotten me. I'm the only one trying. No, one's, no one else is standing up for God. And now everybody's trying to kill me too. Now, part of what Elijah has said is true, and part of it is not true. Because God comes back to him and says several verses later, Hey, you dude, you're not the only one. He didn't say, hey, dude. He said, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. See, Elijah has lost perspective. And all he can see in his evaluation is his problem. And God says, listen, here's the truth. And truth is found, listen to me carefully, truth is found when you see things from God's perspective, not yours. God's perspective. And so Elijah has a choice at this point. Do I receive God's perspective and agree with God, or do I kind of follow what I'm seeing? Because from his eyes, there's no way, he's, he's not lying. You understand? Elijah's an honest guy. He's, he's, he's depressed. And he's spiritually broken at the moment, but he's not trying to lie. He just doesn't see the full picture. By the way, Job had the same problem. Job, when everything finally happens and turns in Job's life, he says, I know that you can do all things. This is his prayer to God. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, God said, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job, like Elijah, had a perspective that was real from his limited vantage point. But he needed to receive the word, the truth of God. To receive. See, here's what happens. You know, just hang with me for a second. I've got these blinders on, and I see all of life through these blinders so that I can't see what's really happening around me. But what I see here is real to me. 
And if my life sucks, then it's, you know, that's all I think about. And then I start talking to myself about how bad my life is. I start speaking, and this self-talk starts to take over me. And I start to believe this self-talk. And what happens in self-talk is it's a confession. You know, confession is agreement. And who am I agreeing with when I'm doing self-talk? You can answer back if you want. I'm agreeing with me. And I, am I not the easiest person to agree with in the world? I mean, really, think about it. I'm agreeing with, I'm just agreeing with me. And it's a loop of death that we have to break out of. Confession is agreement with God. It's not just, you know, when we think of confession, we think, oh, I'm going to talk about how bad I am, my sins, i got to confess it. Hey, confession is God is great. I mean, I'm agreeing with God that he's great, and I'm confessing it. So I need to, I need to confess, I need to quit self-talk and start confessing the greatness and goodness of God and his perspective in our life. And i got three more points to get through. Seek God for victory. Seek God for victory. You know, I don't think until you take time to evaluate and confess, though, you're really going to be on the path to victory. And so the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. He says, what are you doing here? And then the word of the Lord comes to him. We need the word of God in our lives. We need God's word. It says in Hebrews, for the word of God is what? It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirits, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Why does it say that? Because we need that. We need our heart exposed. And it needs to be done in the light of God's Word. Allow God to deal with you and help you to break old habits by receiving God's Word. If you want to walk in victory, start doing things that put you in a position where you can hear the Word of God. So again, going back to the spirit, soul, body, if we're going to break our, the way we think and feel and do, then we need the Word of God to break out from within us. And God's Word is not just the Bible, but it includes the Bible. It's any, any activity of God that's that's ministering life in our life. That's why, again, Paul prays that our eyes of our heart would be opened. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly as you admonish one another and speak to one another. Do you get it? Even within the context of the body, we're encouraging one another with the Word of God. To get God's victory, we need God's Word. By the way, there's, there's, there's a certain process here. Um, you, you didn't just become grumpy this last week. I mean, you know, you probably had, let's say you're 40. It, it probably started when you were two or earlier, and you demanded something, and you didn't get it, but then you got grumpy, and you got it. Oh, wait, this grumpy thing works. 
if I act like this, then I get this. And you've honed that skill over 38 years of your life. So now you're 40, and the grumpy thing is not really that attractive. But you're still doing it because if I push this button, I get this. And you can fill in whatever for grumpy. How do I get out of the grumpy cycle? By the word of God, the victory of God in my life. By God saying, here's who you are. Here's what I want of you. Here's the direction that you're to go. We need to put ourselves in a position to hear the word of God through one another, through the proclamation on Sunday morning, through the reading that we do, just every moment through prayer, fasting, praying, seeking God, worship. Then we need to look for and plan positive steps. Here's what, I'm going to read this to you quickly because it won't mean much to you, but look what God says. Once he gets the word of God, he gets a path to victory. Now he's going to plan it out step by step. Here's what God says to Elijah. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphath, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God gives Elijah a plan Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get out the cave. Get out of here. And when you get out of here, go anoint Hazel as king over Syria. Then anoint Jehu as king over Israel. Now, by the way, there's a problem here. <laughs> there's, there's still a king in Israel. I mean, if you think about it, Isaiah didn't even question him. Elijah doesn't even question him. See, you're just with me now. You don't even notice anymore when I kind of... <laughs> Some of you caught it. Thanks. I'm just testing you. He goes out, and he does. You know, he's got a path forward. Hey, people. Elijah could have said, Hey, you know, God, I, I just called down fire. I just outran a horse. I just prayed for rain. These do not seem like that big a deal. These seem like really minor things to me. People, when God tells you to do something, do it. I mean, it can, you may be saying, eh, I'm waiting for something bigger. Well, if you don't do the little things God tells you, you're going to keep waiting for the bigger. That ain't going to come. And you're going to look past, down the road years from now and say, God never really spoke to me. Yes, he did. And he's still waiting for you to go do the first thing that he told you. Look for and plan positive steps. Then walk in the truth and power of God. Walk it out. Walk it out. Elijah could have kept going this direction, but instead... He has a choice to repent, which means, okay, I need a change of mind and a change of direction, and then I need to just change. And he goes out and starts doing this. 
once he changed what he believed, then his expectations changed. Changed expectations led to changed attitudes and actions, which in turn lead to changed habits. People, we all need spiritual breakthrough in our lives. Amen? Some more than others. Some of us really need God to work in a great and mighty way in our lives right now. And I'm not talking about just a specific circumstance. I'm talking about a spiritual breakthrough that changes the way we perceive us and everything around us. If we don't, then that circumstance that we're worried about might change, but you know what? Next week there'll be another circumstance, and you'll be just as spiritually depressed if God doesn't break through in your life. A couple of years ago, Chris Tomlin did a a new arrangement. By the way, so Elijah got up and takes off. He gets up and goes and found Elisha. A couple of years ago, Chris Tomlin did a new arrangement of a hymn called Come Thou Fount. Um, Come Thou Fount was written during the ministry of George Whitfield by a guy named Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson wrote the words. By the way, just remember when I say hymns, hymns are always the words, not the tune. Just a lesson you can take with you from music school. Um, but the, he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. When Robinson wrote it, he was only 23 years old. And one of the great verses in that hymn is, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. This first part. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Sadly, after writing this hymn, Robinson left the faith. He left the church. He theologically moved on away from God. And one day, he was traveling uh, by train, and he was sitting beside a young woman who was engrossed in a book. And she ran across a verse in a hymn that she thought was beautiful, and she started getting emotional about it. And he asked her, hey, what are you reading? And she's like, I'm just reading the words of this poem that have touched my heart. And she's read to him this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I, I love. At that, he bursts into tears. And he says, I, I'm the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. I mean, it, it, it is true that we are all prone to wander, prone to, to leave God and start relying on ourselves. But God is calling us back to him. He's, he, he wants us to, he wants us to look around us and say, how did I get here? 
take a moment and evaluate and then to agree with him about who he is in our lives and then to seek him for victory to say I can't do this on my own even the simple things and and then to look for and plan the next step he may not give you the full picture he may not say hey someday soon Elijah I'm going to just take you home to be with me supernaturally take you out of here I mean Elijah didn't get the full picture but he got the next step and he said okay I'm going to do it and he goes forth and does what God tells him to do people there's power here this morning for spiritual breakthrough to occur. The prayer of a righteous man, person, is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like, like us. I want to say to you, you can experience the breakthrough of God in your life today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as the one who rules your life and forgives your sins, that's the first step toward true spiritual breakthrough. I mean, it is the ultimate step. And if you are here today and you've done that, but you know that, man, I'm just in a stuck place, I believe that God wants the eyes of your heart opened. He wants you to know the power that's in you. He wants to, to for you to understand the gifts and power and to see it released in your life, activated, so to speak, in order to change who you are and to change the world around us. Stand up with me. Let's pray. While I pray, while I pray, if, if you would like for me to pray for you, you need a spiritual breakthrough in your life. I'm going to just ask you to come to the front and stand. If you would say, you know what, I, I need a spiritual breakthrough right now in my life, and, and I'm in a stuck place, and I want to see God move, then just come to the front and stand here, and I'm going to pray for you, and let God move. It's a first place. It's a first step. Not everything may happen right here, right now, this morning, but this is a first, a first step. And if you need prayer, just move while I pray. Lord, as we gather here, Lord, for those who need spiritual breakthrough, I pray that, God, you would move in their lives. Spirit of God, all across this place, I pray that you would draw our hearts to you. Lord, we thank you that in faith we can confess that we are people just like Elijah. And as great a man of God as he was, we can be just as great because we have the same spirit anointing and filling and dwelling every single one of us. out your hands before the Lord. If, if anybody else wants to join us, you're free. God, we stand before you with open hands and open hearts, and we confess we need spiritual breakthrough in our lives. So first of all, 
we confess in faith that Spirit of God, you indwell us. But at the same time, we confess our thirst right now and pray that you would just touch us in this dry and weary land and, and that a stream of living water would flow from within us. So Spirit of God, flow right now. Lord, as this happens, Spirit of God, just convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Areas of thinking that need to be broken and changed. Spirit of God, break out and move into our minds. Spirit of God, move out and break through into our emotions and heal. Spirit of God, break through into the, the determining factor into our physical bodies that need healing right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us up to overflowing. Lord, we just agree with you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And we lift our, ourselves before you. Saying thank you, Lord. We seek you right now for the victory in our lives. Lord, forgive us where we've sought other sources and we've depended on other people and we've thought, oh, if they can just... And instead, Lord, right now, we silence the voice of the enemy. We silence the voice. But we pray that our self-talk won't drown out the truth of the Word of God in our hearts and our lives. We listen to your Word. Thank you. Spirit of God, I pray right now for each person here that you will show each and every one of them, us, the next step that we need to take. I believe you can hear the voice of God. I believe the Spirit of God indwells you people. Just listen to Him right now for the next step. Don't think of ten steps out. Don't think of the final picture. Just listen for the next one. Welcome. 